1847, the Choctaw tribe had recently moved from Mississippi to what is now modern-day Oklahoma. And when I say moved, I mean they were basically forced out by the United States government after being given an ultimatum. Somewhere between 2,500 and 6,000 of them died on that trip to Oklahoma, which was a quarter of their population. And the conditions were harsh once they settled. They struggled to adjust to their new home. Food and medicine were hard to find, and even when they came across them, they were lucky if they had any money to pay for it. And yet, when they found out the people of Ireland were suffering a historic famine halfway around the world, they were inspired to scrape together what money they could and sent it off. It was an act of kindness that would never be forgotten. Welcome to the Reconnecting Roots podcast, where we dive deep into unique stories and aspects of American culture that are often overlooked. If you're new to Reconnecting Roots, we like to frame the future through the past, looking at things we experience today and seeing where they came from in order to reconnect to what we've lost or understand how it's improved across generations. I'm your host, Ryan Estabrooks. I'm Gabe McCauley, host of the TV series, Reconnecting Roots which is currently airing on a PBS station near you or available to watch on reconnectingroots.com. And I'll be your guide throughout our story today. I'll be out in the field, connecting and learning from people all across America. And today, we're looking at the deep history Ireland shares with America, which goes back further than a lot of people think. We'll chat with the chief of the Choctaw Nation, Gary Batten, about the unique connection between the Choctaw tribe and the Irish. They felt empathy for the people of Ireland because they just went to it. That's the type of people the Choctaw people are. And we'll also hear stories of the first wave of Irish-American immigrants from Gregory de la Haba, whose family owns McSorley's, the oldest Irish pub in the U.S. They were established in 1854 by an Irish immigrant. He believed that if you left a man alone with a good mug of ale, he would cause no trouble. There was a 40-year period during the mid-1800s where the Irish represented one-third of all immigrants coming to the U.S. And their story of immigration is a common one that's shared by people from countries all over the world. They faced extreme hardship back home. The journey to America was rough and dangerous, and even when they settled in, they still had new problems to deal with. In spite of this, they became a vital part of their new country and contributed to America's cultural melting pot. Constructed to perfection, responsibly built for the long haul. Taylor Stitch has taken over 10 years of feedback and is doubling down on their commitment to building the best possible clothing while pledging to limit their environmental impact. From fiber to fabric to factory to end functionality, Taylor Stitch has grown from a need for products without limitations that could handle chopping wood, surf sessions, snagging trout, or simply heading to the office. On top of making the world's best apparel, they're asking questions about how they can protect wild forever. And as a Reconnecting Roots listener, use the code Reconnecting Roots. That's Reconnecting Roots, all one word, for 25% off all products, one use per customer. That offer is valid through July 2021. Taylor Stitch makes some outstanding clothing. 
How do I know? Because I wear it. I have some. And without a doubt, every time I'm sporting a jacket, a shirt, I get compliments. It looks good on me, so I know it'll look great on you. Taylor Stitch. Knock, knock. Who's there? It's Middletown. I wake up every morning to two things. One, my lovely bride, and two, a cup of Mule Town coffee. It's just good, for goodness sake. Steep, sip, enjoy. Making good coffee has never been easier than with Mule Town Coffee's new steeped packs. And whether you're rushing to get kids out the door, traveling abroad, or out hiking the trails, Mule Town Steep Packs are easy to carry, easy to brew, and ready wherever you are. Just add hot water. Visit MuleTownCoffee.com to order steep packs today. And as always, have a good one from everyone at MuleTown Coffee. Now through July 31st, 2021, customers will get 20% off steep packs when they use coupon code STEEPITUP. S-T-E-E-P-I-T-U-P. All one word, Steep It Up. And if you're wondering out there, is it really that easy? Can I really just go to a website, say I want coffee, and it'll be delivered to my door just whenever I run out? Yeah, it is. I know because I've done it. Mule Town Coffee. Good for goodness sake. Reconnecting Roots has some new friends we can't seem to shake. I mean, you know those guys. They crash on your couch, drink all your booze, and clutter the sink with leftover bowls of ramen. Earl and Craig host a PBS show called The Good Road with a companion podcast called Philanthropology. That's right, Philanthropology. They travel a ton around the world and seek out cool people who are change makers and tell their stories. Check them out at thegoodroad.tv where you can jump to their podcast and info about the show. But I will warn you, if you connect with them, they will ask if they can crash on your couch. They've done it to me. Earl and Craig really have become good friends of ours. They're such fun people with great hearts, and their TV show, The Good Road, and Philanthropology, the podcast, are worth checking out. Their show's about people doing good. We could all stand to see and hear about more of that. The Good Road with Craig and Earl. Check them out. This episode is all about Ireland and Irish immigration to America. A lot of people may be wondering why Ireland specifically? Why not somewhere else? So to better answer that question, uh, we thought we'd bring on Joel McAfee, our producer, director, and uh, showrunner of the TV series Reconnect Roots to kind of shed some light as to why we kind of went down the rabbit hole here. Thanks for having me on your podcast. We debated about it, but uh, Ryan finally said he thought it'd be a good idea. So here you are. You're not getting. You're not getting paid for this. That's fine. I can. I can handle that. <laughs> I think for me, if I'm speaking personally, there was always some interest because of heritage. You know, my last name is McAfee, similar to the Mick, uh, Gabe McCauley. I had heard from family, you know, oh, we're Irish or we're Scots-Irish or we're something. Never really thought much of it as a kid. And the older I, I got, I got more curious about it. And so I, I learned a bit about when my Scots-Irish family had come to America pre-Revolutionary War. And I just got to wonder, like, what would it have been like for them as immigrants that early? Because at the end of the day, 
if whether you came in the 1700s or the 1800s, you were looking to make a better life for yourself. I think Ireland is the specific that allows us to talk about the generic. It could have been anything. It could have been Germany. It could have been Italy. It could have been Africa. The story of immigration to America is one that as Americans, we all can relate to because we're all immigrants or descendants of immigrants in some manner. And so for us, Ireland just had a personal connection that's obvious by our last names. I mean, I was really interested in going to Ireland for the corned beef and cabbage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but what came out of it was certainly something that ran a little deeper than that. It's almost like maybe the most direct version of the theme of the show with Reconnecting Roots. It is all about looking at history through our ancestors' eyes. And previously, we would look at that through a different type of subject, whether it's you know farming or even something like bicycles. But this is basically focusing on the people themselves, right? Yeah, and really trying to understand what compelled someone to leave what we understand today is to be a magical place in Ireland. Like it's got such a positive tourist appeal. So for, for people to want to leave that place, there's, there's got to be reasons there in any place for that matter. You know, and what were they looking for in America? And for us to view that lens through family, through distant relatives is something that I think it just allowed us, like Gabe said earlier, it, it allowed us to tell a story that we were connected to at some level. And so that always makes a story more interesting to, to you. But hopefully people can see in this um, the story for any immigrant that came to America. They can relate and understand that we all kind of at some level benefit from people that hope to find a better life. For a little bit of context as to why so many Irish came to America, let's go back to the Great Famine. In 1845, a blight infested their potato crops, which was a staple in just about all their meals, especially for the poor. Living conditions were already tough when the famine hit, with three quarters of workers being unemployed and many of them close to starvation. What little food the Irish were able to grow was sent out of the country due to the British government exporting it. An estimated one million Irish died while another million left the country, dropping their nation's population by 20 to 25%. And while the United States is known today for the amount of financial aid we give to countries in need, the Great Famine in Ireland sparked our very first national relief effort in 1847. President James K. Polk approved a resolution that allowed us to send over warships stocked with food and other necessities. Citizens were asked to chip in with whatever they could, and an estimated half a million dollars was given in all by America. And that's an 1840s currency. What's truly remarkable is how people from all sectors of the country tried to help out the Irish. America wasn't even 100 years old at that time, and had plenty of its own problems to work through, which is putting it mildly. And yet, groups such as the Choctaw tribe found a way to help people thousands of miles away that they had never even met. As I always say, I love telling the story is it, it's a, it's a sad story, but yet it's a story of triumphancy. That's Gary Batten, 
the current chief of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. What I mean by that is when we signed the Treaty of Dance and Rabbit Creek, we gave up uh, land in what's modern day Mississippi to come to uh, Indian Territory, Oklahoma. We came across a harsh winter. And so we lost grandma, we lost you know, grandpa, we lost kids and all those things. After those devastating losses, word began to spread about the terrible famine happening in Ireland. When the Choctaw found out, they managed to donate $170, which is worth more than $5,000 today. These were people who didn't have much to give at all, who rightfully had every excuse to focus on their own community. And the way they found out about Ireland makes their donation feel even more generous. It was interesting that the soldiers are the ones that pushed us, you know, drove us here. Well, the soldier is the one that was telling the story of the people in Ireland and how they were going through Mm. the same situation that they were being, uh, you know, not treated well and that they were starving to death and everything else. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that that's how they discovered the need, but it makes total sense. You know, that's who they would have been in contact with, these soldiers. But wow, the same people that potentially are in charge of driving you across the land, you're then turning around and having empathy on them and their family and their descendants. That's the type of people the Choctaw people are. They felt empathy for the people of Ireland because they just went through it. They knew exactly what they were feeling. That's the reason what drives and motivates me and our tribe uh, today to, to continue to, to give to various schools, all of the sheriff's departments to ten and a half counties. We give to the local law enforcement, fire department. Again, it takes everybody working together sure. to make a community whole. And so I could go on and on, but that gift that our people gave to Ireland, that was just awesome. That's a fascinating connection. And honestly, one I had never heard about until we did the Irish Americans episode of the TV show. And yeah, but even though it's not common knowledge here in America, Chief Batten was telling me that it's actually a pretty big deal in Ireland. I don't know how to describe it, uh, Gabe, other than just humbling when I was over in Ireland. Of course, I had my traditional shirt on, traditional regalia and so on. And uh, they, they would just come up and say, thank you. We were treated like rock stars over there. If they heard Choctaw, it was just like saying New York Yankees, you know, I mean, it was just, hey, they're the greatest. They're, they're awesome. You know, even though it's $170, I said it was so much more than that. It was a gift of hope, of kindness. And they said, you literally helped our nation survive. The relationship between these two nations has only grown over the years, with a recent scholarship program created to help Choctaw students study abroad in Ireland. The prime minister came over and And because, again, of what our people had done and our relationship, he wanted to set up a scholarship for Choctaws. And so through our Choctaw Foundation, we we had people apply. He mentioned that one of the scholarship recipients just got back from Ireland and told him personally about the amazing experience she had. It seems to be a hit with Choctaw students wanting to explore a new country that embraces them with open arms. It's just that a cross combination of culture that we wanted to expand because our, some of our tribal members would never get to experience. I mean, very few people, yourself included, get to how many people go to Ireland and experience that culture and history and all that. So anyway, it's been great for, we believe that it's going to continue that legacy of that kindred spirit 
and then also it's going to help our tribal members grow and exceed and understand sovereignty, understand nation to nation, and how we can work hopefully with the people of Ireland. Pretty much any immigrant can tell you that moving to a new country doesn't mean your life is suddenly perfect. It can be hard to feel like you fit in with a new culture. Jobs can be hard to find, and your new neighbors might not exactly welcome you with open arms. Irish Americans were no exception when they came to America. Job discrimination meant they were often stuck with low wages doing hard labor that no one else wanted to do. And those low wages meant the only housing they could afford were dirty, cramped tenements, sometimes living shoulder to shoulder with several families. When they stepped out of their home, they could expect to be greeted with racist slurs at any moment, which often led to physical violence. But even in the face of adversity, they found their own path by opening businesses and becoming more involved in politics. By establishing new roots and watching them grow over generations. I recently visited one of the oldest Irish businesses here in America that's been around for over 150 years, and it's still serving up the same authentic Irish experience today as it did then. I'm on East 7th Street in New York City. I walk past pasta restaurants, engineering schools, and a huge Ukrainian Catholic church in order to get to the place I'm looking for. I see an American flag in its window with an Irish flag laid on top of it. A huge green sign spells out McSorley's Old Ale House sitting above these giant black wooden doors. I open them up and make my way inside. The place is packed with groups of people just actually talking to one another. Not a TV in sight. I mean, the sound of beer glasses clinking against the old wood filling the air. There's a personal warmth here that you don't get from any run-of-the-mill bar and grill chain restaurant. It almost looks like a museum. I mean, with its walls covered with vintage photos, medals, miniature statues, and of course, more Irish flags. Behind the bar stands a red-headed, bearded man named Gregory de la Hava, sporting a gold chain with a fireman's hat medallion around his neck, snuggled deep in his chest hair that he had no problem flaunting. And his family owns the place. So he tells me about the history of McSorley's, which naturally ties into the beginning of Ireland's influence on America. We were established in 1854 by an Irish immigrant by the name of John McSorley. And one of the special things about John was that he didn't believe in hard alcohol. He believed that if you left a man alone with a good mug of ale, he would cause no trouble. And hence our motto, be good or be gone. He points to a big wooden sign hanging above our heads with those exact words inscribed. That's a good motto. I like that. Maybe we should put that up in our office. Or even better, let's open up our own Irish pub named... Macaulay's and and put it there. I could get behind that. Although it wouldn't quite have the same history as this place does. You're standing here at the original bar. This bar actually was put in in 1905. It was taken off an old clipper ship that was decommissioned in 1905, but it was built in 1834. We got the original taps over there. John McSorley's original money box. The original potbelly stove. 
original tables, the table right behind you, Abraham Lincoln sat in when he was here. After he gave the speech, the right makes might speech at Cooper's Union. And in addition to legendary U.S. presidents swinging by for a drink, Irish Americans frequented the place, and some of whom would change the history of America. And two of the most famous Irishmen to drink here was Thomas Francis Moore and Jeremiah O'Donovan Rossa. Both were uh, newspaper owners, both write about, wrote about the great cause, uh, about Ireland's freedom, and um, during the Civil War, Thomas Francis Moore put an ad out in his paper looking for Irish immigrants to fight in the Union cause. One of those soldiers that enlisted brought back the shackles that he wore during the Andersonville prison sentence that he served. He actually was lucky enough that he survived it because 16,000 Union soldiers died in this prison in Georgia during the Civil War. And uh, that's when the Irish got the term the Fighting Irish because they were notorious, they were great fighters. What do you think made the Irish people so successful as immigrants here in America? Uh, their unflinching determination to succeed, to survive. What they were coming from was pure famine. Even Frederick Douglass, when he toured Ireland, he couldn't believe the conditions, the starvation that the Irish were suffering. Yeah, when you're coming from nothing, you've got a spirit to survive and make it, you know. Anything is better than nothing. That's right. Around the time McSorley's opened, a group known as Tammany Hall, which goes back to pre-revolutionary times, became a political powerhouse, ruling New York City politics for the next 80 years. It sought the votes of all these new Irish immigrants making a home in the Big Apple, which gave Tammany Hall a solid foundation of supporters who went to the polls and voted for their policies. And soon enough, Irish Americans found themselves in political positions of their own. But all this power didn't come without corruption, theft, and sometimes even violence. The funny thing is, one of John McSorley's other friends was John Morrissey. John Morrissey was one of the leaders of the Dead Rabbits. The Dead Rabbits was the Irish Catholic gang that took control of this whole neighborhood after they killed the real Bill the Butcher, whose real name was William Poole. On our walls are, is one of the only known lithographs of the real William Poole. He was a Protestant born in New Jersey. He hated Irish immigrants, in particular, he hated all immigrants. He was what's called a nativist. And John Morrissey had his men kill this son of a Leapers. in his own bar down on Spring Street. And once he was dead, the Bowery Boys, his gang, died with him. And that's when the Dead Rabbits took control. That's when John Morrissey took control of the neighborhood. Tammany Hall gave him full reign of all the bars, all the gambling halls. So from Irish immigrant, you know, a poor gangster to a gang leader, then he became a politician and served a term up in uh, Troy, New York, where he was from. After Tammany Hall opened up politics for the Irish in America, they saw themselves rising higher and higher in society culminating in John F. Kennedy becoming the first Irish Catholic president of the United States. This was hugely meaningful for the Irish-American community since it showed that a descendant of Irish immigrants could assume the top political position in the U.S. While there was still some anti-Irish sentiment at that time, it sent a strong message, one that said, this is our home now, too. 
The centuries-long history of Irish Americans continued after Kennedy's presidency. In the 1980s, Ireland's economy wasn't doing so hot, thanks to debt and high unemployment, which led to a new wave of Irish immigrants coming to America. But then a funny thing happened in the 90s. More people moved from America to Ireland than vice versa for the first time. Even recently, in 2018, Ireland had a 12% increase for visa applications compared to the year before. Whereas America only granted visas to 123 Irish immigrants for that same year. But that's not to say there's no longer a relationship between our two countries at all. In fact, a key relationship was rekindled just this year. At the time of recording this episode, we're still stuck in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's affected all of us in some way, but the Native American communities have been hit particularly hard. Some reservations don't have great access to running water and are in remote locations, far from places that have supplies that can help stem the spread of the virus. Plus, this virus caught everyone off guard. So having emergency funds to pay for the fight against COVID isn't an option for some tribes. But Ireland remembered the help they received in their time of need and wanted to do something in return. To hear that story come from our people that basically went through those trials and tribulations to help out another nation, and then to see the people of Ireland, because of what we did for them 170 plus years ago, turn around and help our brothers and sisters in a Hopi and the Navajo Nation, that's just awesome. It just does my heart, makes my heart feel warm because of what they've what they're doing and how they're trying to pay it forward. And that's, that's what you want to see happen. As of now, the fundraiser set up for the Navajo and Hopi families has brought in over $5.6 million, with more than half a million coming from 20,000 plus Irish donors. And if you look on the GoFundMe page, you'll find lots of messages from Irish people saying they're donating because of what the Choctaw did for the Irish almost two centuries ago. In our Irish American episode of Reconnecting Roots, one of the things that fascinated us, and, and it's kind of a big reason why we made the episode really at its core, is the fact that we're not just highlighting the Irish American immigrant experience. We're trying to highlight just the American immigrant experience overall. Yeah. So what are some similarities, some commonalities between the story of the Irish American and immigrants from other nations that, that you've found while making this episode? Well, I would say one thing is it doesn't matter your race or culture. There will be someone who has a problem with it, you know, regardless of whether you're Irish, you're German, you're Italian, you're African, there's going to be somebody who thinks you're not like me. And if there's not a lot of other people like you already there and established, you are different and different for a lot of people is fearful. You know, I yeah. don't, I don't know about you. I don't understand you. Fear of the unknown. Yeah, fear of the unknown and just a lot of um, preconceived notions and or stereotypes. So what, what do you think in your research and then after we've finished the, the episode, what is it that stood out to you that was as common with the immigrant story in general, not just Irish immigration here in America? 
for me, it was definitely a reminder of the fact that most of us aren't from here. Our families did not originally come from America. Essentially, unless you're Native American or you know someone who's been here since the beginning, and I, I think sometimes people forget that. Yeah. And so when when seeing the prejudice that Irish Americans, you know, experienced whenever they came here, it was it, it was kind of like a reminder of how hypocritical people can can kind of be sometimes seeing and going through the history of the Irish American brings at least some form of hope because I mean they they had it really bad in the beginning but they they still came here and they stood their ground and they say no this is this is going to be my country too yeah but across several generations and you know like over a hundred years got to the point to where you know a lot of that bigotry went away and so th- that does give me hope for other groups of, of immigrants who even now come here and, and have a hard time. And, you know, maybe they'll have a hard time for the rest of their lives, but maybe their children will have it less. And then maybe their grandchildren will have it even less. Right. And so I'm very hopeful in the sense that maybe a hundred years from now, we'll no longer see those differences as being something that's seen as negative that in fact, hopefully those differences will be seen as something positive, something to celebrate. We just want to give a huge thanks to all of our guests for taking the time to speak with us today. We really appreciate you. Keep up with Chief Gary Batten on Facebook at facebook.com slash Chief Gary Batten. And if you're ever in New York City, swing by McSorley's Old Ale House. You won't be disappointed. You can check them out at McSorley'sOldAleHouse.nyc. Thanks again, Gregory, for all your insight. We had a great time at McSorley's. We'll include links to all of these places in our show notes for easy access. You can watch the Reconnecting Roots TV series on your local public television station on the PBS app or stream it on our website. Feel free to rate us or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so we can keep the conversation going. You can also listen to the Reconnecting Roots album, where Fire Kid and Manny Macaulay reimagine iconic songs with a modern twist, each song related to a topic on the show. You can find the album on Spotify, Apple Music, and other popular streaming services. And now, here's their performance of Danny Boy. Oh,
Connecting Roots podcast is made possible by the following wonderful people. Our producer, Joel McAfee. Writer, researcher, and my co-host, Ryan Estabrooks. Research for this episode also provided by Larissa Goodlad and Joel McAfee. Consulting by Dave Boyd. Music supervisor and editor, Mandy McCauley. Score, George Polly and Paul Kinsing. Mixed by George Polly. And our executive producers, Frank and Karen Smith. And our amazing theme song, America the Beautiful Reimagined as We're Home by Fire Kid and Mandy McCauley. Connecting Roots podcast is a Lil Dragon and Story Scout Studios production.